What's up, Buffalonians? It's your boy, Nick English. If you want the facts, the stats, and all the sports info in the 716, you have come to the right place. This is English Encore, Buffalo's favorite sports channel. I'm your host, Nick English. Greatly appreciate everyone for tuning in for today's episode. It's going to be a bit of a longer one. My work schedule is a little bit weird this week, so I'm doing one long episode for this whole week in general. If you do not follow me on Instagram, please give me a follow at English Encore Podcast. I just posted a really cool video there um, with my session from the 42 North 78 West show when I had the guys on um, from their podcast. Go and check them out. The links to their stuff is in my bio as well as the end of that video. Today, I'm be going over some stuff with the Buffalo Sabres after they are finally off of COVID. Um, and they just played two games against the Islanders, and I am ready for a rant. I'm going to be changing up my Bills topics. I honestly completely forgot I started doing a countdown on the top 10 plays a few weeks ago, so my apologies on that. I'm going to be doing numbers 5 through 1 today. Then i be going into my early Final Four predictions for the NCAA tournament. Um, super happy that that's going to be back this year, so I'll be doing the men's side um, today. I'm be doing the women's side on another episode, and then... Capping it off, I'm talking about some Australian Open tennis as we have the semifinals coming up over these next few days. But starting with the Buffalo Sabres, it's been a while. I'm ready for a rant. This team is a disgrace. It's time to rebuild again. It's time to blow it all up and start over again, meaning even Jack Eichel shouldn't be off the table. I am so sick and tired of this team. It is so frustrating as a Buffalo sports fan for so long we had a great Sabres team especially when I was young you know I'm 23 years old so when I was growing up I was right around primed with the 05 06 06 07 Sabres Briere Jury all those guys even before that when I really wasn't even old enough to learn hockey you had Michael Pekka Dominic Hasek those guys leading us to a stand or to a Stanley Cup final and then even the few years after Breer and Jury and them left, we were still in playoff contention all the way to 2011 because of Ryan Miller and some of the key pieces we were able to hold on to, like Jason Pominville and Thomas Vanek. Then you had the Buffalo Bills, who pretty much struggled my entire childhood and a lot of people's childhood. Now, the Bills finally have a good front office. The Bills have been good for the last three, four years. We have a Super Bowl contending team, and here we are with the Buffalo Sabres over 700 days without a playoff game. And this team is just so aggravating to watch because they come off of COVID, which first and foremost, I hope all the players are good. And I understand that it's going to be a struggle when you first come off. And the first game, I honestly wasn't expecting too much. It is very hard, no matter how great of shape you are in, to just come off of a COVID list and be able to practice for like a day or two and then just go right into a game. The opponent doesn't help at all either because the Islanders are one of the best defensive teams and one of the most well-coached teams in the NHL with Barry Trotz, personally my favorite coach in the NHL. But we've seen Carolina, we've seen Dallas, and you saw New Jersey yesterday come off covid list and be absolutely fine and win games. The Sabres did not record a single shot in their game Monday night in the third period. And then you cope that with yesterday where they get shut out. They should have had one goal, but Eichel was offsides before a goal by Olofsson. And they just look so sluggish. It's the same thing every year. And it hurts so bad because each offseason, 
they make moves that you think, you know what, this might actually work. And I'm not going to blame Kevin Adams because he just started here and he did the right thing by swinging for the fences in Taylor Hall. But right now, almost every single free agent move they made is just clearly not working. And it goes back to the same thing I've been saying over and over again on this podcast is you can't keep bringing back the same players and expect the same or a different result, excuse me. It is just so frustrating because you have all these like good NHL players. It's not like the Sabres roster is full of complete scrubs. Like, no, you have Jack Eichel, you have Taylor Hall, you have Jeff Skinner, Sam Reinhart, Eric Stahl, Dylan Cousins, all these guys. And we just cannot score. We can't do anything right on the ice. Taylor Hall, Jeff Skinner, and Jack Eichel have a combined three goals, 18 assists for 21 points. Taylor Hall hasn't scored since his first game with the Sabres, and it was the first goal of the season. Eichel's been scored a couple goals, you know, against the Rangers in that series. He hasn't been playing his best. Jeff Skinner still does not have a goal and zero goals this entire season. He's getting paid $9 million to do so. I defended Jeff Skinner for so long, and I'm done doing it. doesn't matter what line you're playing on. If you're getting paid $9 million, you have to produce in some, like, capacity. Taylor Hall, I get it's a new situation, but we paid you $8 million to come here and be a playmaker and score goals, and we thought him and Eichel were going to be great together, and they haven't been great together. I just don't know what to think of this team. You have Kyle Laposo, who's played seven games, has zero points, is getting paid Seven almost or six million dollars. He's negative two. Tage Thompson, the only player that you have left from the Ryan O'Reilly deal, has played seven games. Has looked awful. Has one point. Is negative two. Like this whole entire franchise, top to bottom, is just a complete mess. And it's time to just blow it all up and start over. Like I'm talking, get rid of pretty much everyone. Like you could even feel calls for Jack. Like before the season started, I would have said you're dumb to even like pick up the phone no you need to pick up the phone now now am i saying you need to trade jack eichel no jack eichel is a top 10 15 player in the nhl i know he hasn't been producing lately and that's another huge part of why the sabers haven't been good this year is your top players just aren't scoring do i think jack eichel and taylor hall are going to continue to not score goals and produce no i don't think that's going to last the whole season they're too good of players for it to happen but you have to get productions from those guys when you're paying them anywhere from 8 to $10 million. And if you are going to trade Jack Eichel, it better be for like three first-round picks and three good players. I want a Deshaun Watson type of haul that the Texans are going to want to trade for him. Look at what the Sabres have done in their last 10 trades. That's one of the biggest reasons why I just do not trust this organization at all when it comes to trades. Is If I go over these, I'm going to go over these last 10 trades they've made. And that's not even including the Ryan O'Reilly deal, which is probably the worst trade in franchise history. And then their last 10 first round picks. I just don't trust this team with making the correct picks or you know trading for the correct players. We saw what happened with the Ryan O'Reilly deal. Their last 10 trades. Eric Stahl for Marcus Johansson. We can't really judge that right now. Still long year for Eric Stahl, but he doesn't look anything near the player we wanted him to be. You traded Connor Sheary, Evan Rodriguez, which is like whatever, for Dominic Cahoon, who you don't even re-sign. He's over at Edmonton, um, you know, producing well for them. You trade a fourth-round pick and a fifth-round pick last year at the deadline from Wayne Simmons, Michael Furley, to give you a playoff push. Does absolutely nothing. Neither of those players were going to come back and play for you. You just lost two picks for that. 
you trade Marco Scandella for a fourth round pick, who then the Canadians flip or flip two weeks later for a second round pick to the St. Louis Blues. Absolute joke. The only good deal the Sabres have made is trading Alex Nylander for Henry Okiaru, and Henry Okiaru has been awful the past three games for the Sabres. Then, for a second time, you trade a third-round pick for Jimmy Vesey, one of the worst seasons I've ever seen from a Sabres player in recent memory. He is awful, and now he's over on Toronto, somehow actually putting up points on that team. You trade a second and a fifth-round pick for Colin Miller. I like Colin Miller. I think you still gave up a little bit too much, considering you didn't even really play him last year. Then you trade a six-round pick, or you get a six-round pick for Nathan Boyu. That's kind of whatever. But then you trade Brendan Gooley, who hasn't done much in Anaheim, but you trade away a first-round pick for Brandon Montour, who hasn't done anything. I haven't gotten into trading away the picks for Robin Leonard or the Ryan O'Reilly deal. Let's look at the last 10 years of first-round picks for the Sabres. 2011, Joel Armia. 2012, Greg Arango and Gergensons. 13, Ristolainen Zadorov. 14, 15, Reinhardt Eichel. 16, Nylander, miss. 17, Middlestat, miss. 18, Rasmus Dahlin. I still think Rasmus Dahlin is going to be an elite talent, but he hasn't been good, you know, this season. Quinn Hughes is way better than him. Kale McCarr is way better than him. Ryan Johnson, 2019, we still don't know. Dylan Cousins, I think, is going to be a star in this league. I think that's the player you want to build around. And then Jack Quinn this year, we don't know about him yet. He looks good. He did okay in the World Juniors. He definitely needs to add some weight and grit to his game but we will see with them I just do not trust this team you know making the right decision if we were to move on from Jack Eichel Jack Eichel is also 18th all-time in scoring and he's already halfway to getting to second all-time and he's played in almost 500 less games you want to know why bad teams stay bad is they let high-end talent either walk or they don't build around him and I'm not saying that Kevin Adams didn't try to build around Jack this year because he clearly did going out and getting Taylor Hall, Eric Stahl, trying to get more depth signings. They just have not worked. And like I said, Jack has to start producing. He is the captain's team. He's getting paid $10 million. I don't think it's going to last long term. But again, when you bring back the same decor, the entire same decor and then add guys like Matt Irwin as you know guys that you can just throw in in case of COVID and you bring back Carter Hutton and Linus Allmark when you can't get a save out of them when you need them to it's just so frustrating this team has no direction like every time we get a new GM or new coach it's the same thing that like we want to make the playoffs like no you want to be building to win a Stanley Cup and yes it can take a few years if you do it right but look at some of these other teams. Like Everyone was laughing at Montreal saying how bad they were going to be. And they've shot out of the gate this year and are getting productions because they make a few minor tweaks. Nick Suzuki's producing. They trade for Josh Anderson, who's been playing awesome for them. And, you know, the Islanders bring in Barry Trotz, and they're a consistent playoff team and getting farther and farther in the playoffs. Philadelphia, a team that was thought to be filtering out over the last few years, now has a good young goalie and has guys like Couturier, Voracek, still producing, even Claude Giroux still producing, Travis Konecki, all these teams just find ways to not get stuck in rebuilds, and here the Sabres are just not knowing what to do. If I if I was the general manager or the owner, and I think it's just so frustrating because you see how good the Bills are, and then you just look at the Sabres, and you just can't understand what it is. Is it the Bagulas have their hands too much in it? Is they didn't did not hire the right people? Is it the constant change and having no direction of what you want to do? They constantly talk about having these expectations and of having this direction, which no one seems to do. 
you keep saying that every day you want to win games. Well, each game that you keep Kyle Oposo in a lineup, you are not trying to win games. I don't care that Kyle Oposo is getting $6 million. You need to send him to Rochester or keep him on the taxi squad. Do whatever. You know, give him the Matt Molson treatment. At least, you know, previous GMs weren't afraid to do that kind of mood. I want to see Kevin Adams do that. I want to say he's hurting his team. I don't care how good of a locker room or just general good person he is. He should not be in the lineup for the Sabres for the rest of the year unless there's a major injury or another COVID outbreak. To me, if I'm starting over, Dylan Cousins and Rasmus Dahlin are the two untouchables. I want to keep Jack Eichel and Victor Olofsson. Jack Eichel is a superstar in this league. I think Victor Olofsson still has upside, even though he's a younger player. Henry Okiar is a little bit of a question mark, but I still think he has enough talent to be an asset for this organization. Outside of that, everyone else, gone. Taylor Hall, flip him for a pick at the deadline. I love Sam Reinhardt, and just, I'm sorry, you have to move him. Because you have all these guys coming off of deals, like Reinhardt, Montour. You have to flip and get something for him, whether it's a pick, prospect, whatever it may be. Jeff Skinner, find someone that'll take him. Leave him exposed for for Seattle when they come in. Just, you have to change this roster every way possible. And I know it's going to be super frustrating for fans to rebuild again, but I'd rather them start over and at least try to do a rebuild somewhat right than just completely botch what they've done for the past seven, eight years, a tank that did not work, and now we're suffering watching this crap product on the ice night in and night out. Like, I don't even know why they want to bring in 2,000 fans because it's just going to be a bunch of booze. And for all I care, the Sabres could go on and win their next 10 games like they did a few years ago. It's not going to change my mind. They just have to blow everything up and start over. I don't want to trade Jack Eichel. I think Jack Eichel, besides Gilbert Pro and Dominic Keshik, and if he stays here long enough, he could go down as the best Sabre of all time. And I'm not willing to just give him away for nothing. And I do think he's going to turn it around. But at some point, you have to have expectations and start producing. And it starts with him, and he has to have a better attitude and the Sabres just have to make changes, and Kevin Adams and the Bagulas are at the forefront of that. Whew. Now that I've got the Sabres ran out of the way, I'm going to turn to a positive, turn to the Buffalo Bills, who just went to the AFC Championship and are making Bills fans and Buffalo sports fans super happy right now. Um, I will be talking about J.J. Watt and the potential that he will be coming to Buffalo. There's a report earlier today from ESPN that the Bills and him have mutual interest. So really cool to see that. So a few weeks ago, I did my 10 through 6 for top 10 plays in the Bills season. Like I said, some of these aren't necessarily, you know, plays that are better than others, but it also includes, you know, the magnitude of the game and the moment. So number five, I have the Jerry Hughes fumble return first to Broncos. Not only because Jerry Hughes made himself look like Barry Sanders and LaShawn McCoy with the one hand carrying around like a piece of bread and running it all the way back in for a touchdown it was just an awesome game because, you know, the Bills could have easily choked in that game. The Denver was playing well at that time. It's a tough place to play, um, high altitude and everything. It was also when we clinched the AFC East title. So that's why this game in itself was a big moment. And then Jerry Hughes making that play it was just awesome. Number four, I have the Stephon Diggs touchdown in the playoff game versus the Indianapolis Colts. Um, the reason I have this so high, even though it probably wasn't the most impressive play was because it's the first home playoff game they had had in a long time. It was a big play um, during the game where the Bills kind of really put their foot on the gas pedal. It was just a huge moment for the Bills 
fan base, and you could kind of see that Allen and Diggs are going to be the long-term connection in Buffalo. So I just think that was a super cool moment and showed what having a receiver like Stephon Diggs can do. Number three, I have the Justin Zimmer fumble um, on Cam Newton that Dean Marlowe recovered for the Bills um, to get their first win at home against the Patriots. I think that kind of was just a moment where Bills fans felt that sense of relief because it seemed like it was going to be the same old Bills again. You know, Cam Newton had them driving down the field in a little bit of a weird game. The Bills were very run heavy that game. Josh didn't have his best game passing. And it felt like they were just going to win the game and it was still going to be theirs. But then the Bills just snatched it from them with Zimmer punching the ball out. We recovered it. We won the game. I think from that moment on, the Bills had the confidence that it was their division to lose. Then we completely annihilated them the next time we played. Um, I think that was just a signature moment that um, the Bills could look upon and say that it was their time to take over the division. Number two, I have the Stephon Diggs touchdown catch versus the Cardinals. Um, it was an unreal throw and catch, very clutch moment. Not a lot of time remaining on clock. It was like 40 seconds. Um, great comeback by the Bills after they started off well in that game and kind of blew the lead. Just show you how much composure Josh has, how big of a playmaker Stephon Diggs is. And I know the Hail Mary came after that play, but that whole game itself with the Diggs and Allen catch, I think the offense really found itself. And then after the Hail Mary, it really changed the way the Bills season went. You know, they won every game after that all the way until they lost Kansas City in the AFC Championship game. Um, I think that's just a turning point in the Bills' year. Um, and they took a really negative play um, and a really heartbreaking loss and turned it into a huge positive. And then number one, I think there was really a no-brainer, is Teron Johnson's pick six against Baltimore. Getting the Bills to the AFC Championship game, it's probably one of the Bills' best playoff moments, if not the Bills' best playoff moment ever. Um, just a super crucial point in the game. Teron Johnson makes a real unreal play, returns it over 100 yards, having the whereabouts to not just go down, seeing the green grass. Tredavious White's ability to get out and block Lamar Jackson was one of the, the fastest players in the league. Um, it was just such a game-changing moment, and it was just such a great relief for Bills fans everywhere to realize that we weren't just a walkover anymore. And for so long, I think Bills fans going to that game, you saw what the Ravens did to us last year how much Lamar ran on us no one gave us a chance and we could have easily have lost that game and everyone would have been saying the same things that we're still not there um the Bills are always going to choke and then we got the AFC championship game against the Chiefs because of that play pretty much and then we locked it in um and it's just such a big play for the Bills season and I think it gave the fans the hope they've been looking for for so long um and the hope that we're going to be a championship team going forward um so those would be my Top 10 plays, you can also go back on my Instagram and check out the other five, um, which I talked about from 10 through 6. Getting into the NCAA Final Four predictions, we'll be going through the men's side today. So I'm going to give you guys my Final Four predictions, my second tier of teams that I think could make a run but ultimately will fall short, and then four wildcard teams that you should kind of pay attention to. So I'm going to start with the wildcard teams and work my way up to my Final Four predictions. Um, starting off the wildcard teams, um, Rutgers has played really well all year. I think they're a team that no one really wants to face. They're kind of like that team in football or in hockey in playoffs where no one wants to see them because they just play so hard on both ends of the floor and are a very well-coached and good shooting team. Um, I just don't think anyone really wants to see them in the NCAA tournament in an early-round matchup. Oklahoma State is another really um, 
wild card team because they've kind of been in and out of the top 25 all year. They've dealt with some COVID and injury issues, but I also strongly believe they have the best player in the country who I think is going to go number one in the draft this year in Cade Cunningham. Um, he's just an absolute playmaker when it comes to clutch time. Um, I've watched multiple games and he's closed out so many games for them against big teams. I think he's going to have the ability to really carry this team into a deep March Madness run. I don't know if they're necessarily going to have enough to get past some of these teams I have in front of them, but I think they're a super interesting team. Iowa, I know they're ranked very high. I think they're a little bit overrated um, as far as the rankings go, but Garza's been a stud for them all year. Um, they shoot really well from three, but um, I just think there's a lot of other teams that can give them some problems defensively. I don't think, as well as Luke Garza and some of their other big men at play, I think they do tend to struggle a little bit um, on the interior defensively. And if their three balls not going down, that could be very problematic for them. And then number four, I have Seton Hall. Just because Sandra Mamakalashvili is one of the best players in the country. Kevin Willard's very good coach. Jared Ronan, Miles Kale, great senior leadership. Um, Shavar Reynolds has shown he can hit some big shots. I just think defensively, Seton Hall is such a question mark. Um, but they're very capable of knocking down a lot of threes and playing strong defense. It's really just a matter if they can put it all together consistently over and over and Bryce Aiken was supposed to come in and be that guy as a Harvard transfer that could put up 15 to 20 points for them and he's shown flash of it but he's had so many injury issues I just don't know if they can make as deep of a run as they would have like they could have um, excuse me last year with Miles Powell in the second tier I have Texas Texas kind of been in the middle of the top 25 for a while um, they've been very up and down at moments um, if they can put together a full 40 minutes, I think they're one of the best teams in basketball. I say, don't think they've had that consistency throughout the entire year. Villanova's another team. I think Jay Wright's such a good coach. Um, Gillespie is a very good point guard, reads things super well, dictates play. Um, I think they're always a very tough out. Nate Oates and Alabama are going to be a very, very interesting team to watch. I almost put them in my final four. My biggest concern with them is the amount of threes that they shoot every game we saw it multiple times this year including against Oklahoma where when they don't shoot the three ball well they are susceptible to lose Michigan's my other second tier team is very hard to not to put them in the top four either but they've been dealing with some COVID issues themselves um they've kind of been up and down um as far as blowing out teams and beating you know teams that really shouldn't be competing with them by small margins I think they're really well coached by Juwan Howard I definitely think that they could easily make it to the Final Four, but I think there's some other teams in front of them that have way more potential. So my Final Four is Gonzaga, Baylor, Creighton, Illinois. Um, Illinois has been playing some great basketball all year. I think they get it done on both ends of the floor. Um, I just think they have so many playmakers, and they have so many guys that can score the ball for them, so it doesn't always have to necessarily be one player um, that does it for them. Creighton... I've always just been a big fan of McDermott and the way he coaches. Um, Marcus Zagorowski, hopefully I didn't completely butcher his last name, but he's one of the best players in the country. They're a team that very rarely doesn't shoot it well from three. Um, being someone that watches a good amount of Seton Hall basketball, Creighton destroyed them early in the year by almost 40 points because they just did not miss. Um, they're very good top to bottom. Them and Villanova, I think, are the favorites in the Big East, and I could you could easily flip-flop those two. Final four. Now, I think Baylor and Gonzaga are both just consensus um, top two. They've just been destroying teams all year. It doesn't matter who you put in front of them. 
whether it's Virginia, Villanova, whoever it may be, Kansas, Baylor and Gonzaga have just dismantled all of them. Baylor concerns me a little bit only because they have bowed out early um, tournaments previously when they've been high seed, but Gonzaga to me is easily the favorite to win the whole thing, and I think there's going to be a lot of people that have them um, in the Final Four. And then to close out today's show, talking some Australian Open tennis, so Today and tomorrow, and the next day after that, we're going to be having some semifinals. So on the men's side, we have Novak Djokovic versus Aslan uh, Karastev, who's kind of an unknown. He's kind of just made his way through the tournament, um, getting some upsets um, over Algar Lacyam from Canada. Novak's been doing his normal stuff. Everyone thought he was going to be out after he had a five-setter versus um, Taylor Fritz from the United States. Then he was able to play against Milos Raonic and beat him. Had a bit of a breakdown, even though he was winning against Alexander Zverev. So, same old Djokovic. Really never liked him, but um, he's poised to probably make another final. And if he wins, he'll only be um, two behind uh, Federer and three behind Nadal um, for most grand slams for men. Then you have Stefano Tsitsipas, who just actually beat Rafael Nadal after being down two sets to none. So, it's a huge upset. I just don't know if he's going to be able to um, maintain that against Daniel Medvedev, who's been playing some of his best tennis over the past few years. I think, honestly, the winner of that match um, has the best chance to upset, or excuse me, to win the whole thing. I just don't think Djokovic has been playing his best tennis. Um, Medvedev would be the favorite to me, followed by Pass. Then again, you can never count on Djokovic. The women's side is super interesting. You have Naomi Osaka for Serena Williams arguably the two best players in tennis. Serena really should be the number two player in the world, but because of her injuries, I'm um, just not playing in a lot of tournaments and stuff. She's always ranked a little bit lower. Ultimately, I think whoever wins that match is going to win um, the women's side. Jen Brady has made a really nice run. The American women's side has just done really well for themselves. She just beat Jessica Bagula in the last round. She's going up against Carolina Muchova, um, who's really highly ranked. She's number five in the world. I think that's going to be a very good match. Jen Brady hits the ball extremely well and has a very tough serve. Um, so I definitely think Jen Brady could win this match. Um, I'm really interested in Serena because she's still one away from tying Margaret Court for 24th Grand Slam all time um, to become number tied for number one. Um, she's been chasing that for so long. Um, so it'd be really cool for her to win that and really give herself a chance at immortality. I think she's already widely regarded as the greatest woman's tennis player of all time. But I think if she can win that and tie her um, I think that would only add to her legacy um, even more. But we'll definitely see what happens here in the next up-and-coming days. But I appreciate everyone for tuning in today. Um, like I said, a little bit of a longer episode today. Not going to be doing one on Friday or Saturday just because of my work schedule. But I will be back two episodes next week. We'll be doing an episode on Monday talking about the Bills. Some J.J. Watt talk for agency. See how the Sabres um, have responded. Hopefully I don't have to do another rant. Um, and then we'll be returning with Zach um, to talk some more NBA the following Friday or Saturday. We're going to be doing a, um expansion draft with the Buffalo Braves and Seattle Supersonics. So that's going to be a really cool topic. Hopefully we can get some videos um, posted on Instagram with those for you guys. Like I said, please give me a follow on Instagram, at English Encore Podcast. Greatly appreciate all the support. Thank you all for tuning in. Hope everyone's staying safe and healthy. This has been English Encore Podcast, Buffalo's favorite sports channel.